Why do you think that there has been nothing happening on this case and no communication? Because of the area we live in and because of the community in the area and they think she was just another young black girl and they just don't care. But the area we said that she was in off of 93rd, was they able to dump her body on Bessemer if Jasmine Trotter just got killed? Supposed to have been out looking for her killer, so why the hell the streets wasn't being combed? You know, they should have been going through there back and forth, keeping patrol up high, but they didn't do that. It was dead down there. There was nobody. It was empty. It was quiet. It was silent. It was dark. I don't know. Like, they, I feel like they're doing nothing to try to solve my sister's case at all. Well, what are you doing? There's supposed to be a task force to look into this. On September 19, 2017, the city of Cleveland made the following announcement. The Cleveland Division of Police is proud to announce that a task force has been initiated in an effort to tackle unsolved homicides. The Cleveland Homicide Review Task Force was formed in partnership with the Cleveland Division of Police, the Cleveland Office of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and the Cuyahoga County Sheriff's Office. Members of each law enforcement agency will be assigned to the task force and work together to solve unresolved homicides within the city of Cleveland and Northeast Ohio. This initiative will go a long way in helping us reduce violence, particularly homicides in the city of Cleveland, said Mayor Frank G. Jackson. It will allow us to bring closure and with that closure, potentially identify those involved in multiple instances of violent crime. The task force will consist of sworn members of law enforcement. Members of the Division of Police will be deputized by Cuyahoga County Sheriff Pinkley in order to have jurisdiction throughout the county. The task force will be enhanced with the crime analysis provided by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. The task force will operate out of police headquarters. The Cleveland Homicide Review Task Force will be a great asset to our investigators in the homicide unit. Solving these unresolved cases will bring closure to countless family members and loved ones, said Chief Calvin D. Williams. The rate at which America solves homicides has been declining alarmingly over the last 50 years. Once upon a time, we used to clear 90% of our murders. In recent years, that's dropped to about 60, 61%. We lag behind most of the Western world in the rate at which we make an arrest in a homicide. I like to think that one doesn't become a homicide detective for merely the title. I'd imagine that to do a job like that, you'd have to care an awful lot about people and have a strong desire to pursue justice. Which leaves me asking, why is it then that our city has been crying out for help and demanding justice for so many years and it's nowhere to be found? 
As I've worked on these four cases, I kept coming back to a couple of lessons I learned years ago when I was in search of a diagnosis for a debilitating and mysterious illness I was battling. The first one being that pain is the body's way of alerting us that something needs tending to, needs nurturing and love. When we ignore that pain, we're feeding the cause of it. And the other lesson is, if we're only treating the symptoms and not the root cause of the symptoms, we're never going to eradicate the cause and attain healing. You'll remain in a repetitive toxic cycle that slowly expands. It's not sustainable. Our world is no different. And here in Cleveland, we're not even treating the symptoms, let alone the cause. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that we can eradicate the cause of our symptoms here overnight, but I do want to acknowledge that we need to start taking forward strides in that direction. In order to be part of the solution, you have to understand the challenge, which is why I reached out to someone that has studied the homicide patterns here in Cleveland and can break down the various layers to the issues we've been facing. I'm Tom Hargrove. I'm the founder and chairman of the nonprofit organization called the Murder Accountability Project. But before that, I was a journalist. I was a newspaper reporter for 37 wonderful years. It is the best job in the universe, and I really, really enjoyed it. I was a reporter in Birmingham, Alabama for 12 years, and then I must have done something awful, and they sent me to Washington, D.C. to be the D.C. correspondent, and then I became a national correspondent and quickly became known for doing quantitative research projects, mostly dealing with large data sets, what we now call big data, and I was something of the newsroom statistician. If there was a numbers issue, they would give it to Hargrove because he was comfortable with numbers. During my stay in Washington, I was the co-founder and co-director of the Scripps Survey Research Center at Ohio University. So for 15 years, we ran national polls with a very clear directive, just to ask questions nobody else has ever asked before, which is just wonderful. We tried to keep it interesting and we certainly kept it fresh. And that was a wonderful way to spend a career. I retired in 2015. Uh, well, I was retired. My bureau was shut down, but that was okay. I had put in the years and I had a very comfortable retirement thanks to my very generous company. And I knew what I wanted to do, which was to found a nonprofit group because one of my projects was a year-long project looking at unsolved murders back in 2010. And I realized how few resources homicide detectives have, starting with the fact that there's no national list of homicide victims. And detectives really need that. So when I retired, I founded the nonprofit group, got a bunch of very interesting folk, including some pretty former top people at the FBI, to join the board of directors. And we exist primarily to build America's most complete homicide list. 
If you go to our website, you can see how often murders get solved in every town in the United States. You can see how often they get solved in the state average or the county average. It's very easy to use, and we're hoping that alone becomes a political force, that the rate at which America solves homicides has been declining alarmingly over the last 50 years. Once upon a time, we used to clear 90% of our murders. In recent years, that's dropped to about 60, 61%. We lag behind most of the Western world in the rate at which we make an arrest in a homicide. There are a lot of reasons for that, but that's one element of what we do. Also, if you've lost someone to homicide, you can go to our search cases tab at our website, murderdata.org, search cases, and you probably will find the person you care about amongst the more than 800,000 records that we've assembled. We have the most complete list available anywhere. We get most of our data from the FBI, but not everyone voluntarily cooperates with the FBI, and so we go in and try to convince those states or major cities to report to us, even if they're not reporting to the FBI. We do so under the Freedom of Information Act. From time to time, we've gone to court, and our argument has always been, Your Honor, the people of Illinois or the people of America have the right to know how they're being murdered and whether those murders are being solved. We've gathered more than 30,500 homicides that should have been reported to the FBI but weren't, and we're continuing. We spend most of our time in the process of data acquisition. There's a kind of magic to carefully counting things, and one of the bits of magic that you can do is you start to perceive patterns that might, by human eyes, get missed. And we've developed an algorithm that can and has detected previously unknown serial murders. A serial killer is someone who kills two or more people in separate incidents. And it's quite common for that pattern to be missed. That comes down to a problem long known to criminologists called linkage blindness. When a person is murdered, a detective is assigned to the case. When another person is murdered, usually a different detective is assigned to the case. If there are commonalities in the crimes, those commonalities usually get missed unless the detectives happen to have a conversation over the water cooler or something. If murders occurred in adjacent jurisdictions, that conversation never happens. Linkage blindness has long been recognized as the problem, and the algorithm exists because we're trying to overcome that. So that was a lot of information, and I wanted to break it down. So I asked Tom why there's been such a big decline in homicide cases being solved. It's complicated, like everything in life. The primary answer to that question is we are providing insufficient resources to solving major crimes. That's the simple answer, but it's more complicated than that. The nature of murder has changed over the last 50 years. 50 years ago, the typical murder victim was white. Today, the typical murder victim is black. Once upon a time, there were very few ethnic minorities. Now, they 
rise an important percentage of all homicides. Also, the nature of the homicide has changed. Once upon a time, domestic violence was a major component in murders, and it still is today, but to a much less degree. We attribute that to several things. First of all, women are more likely to be financially solvent and capable of living on their own. So if they're involved in an abusive relationship, they get out. Also, when a man strikes a woman, it's really a one strike and you're out policy in most jurisdictions that he's in serious trouble. They don't just look the other way for one or two assaults. They go after him immediately. He has a criminal record. He has to face quality time with an anger management specialist and quality time with a judge who wants to really get and look in under the hood as to why this guy likes to beat up women in his life. So the system has gotten better. Murder from domestic violence has declined. That leaves the more difficult to solve murders, murders like gangland killings and murders involving drug deals and drug organizations. Increasingly, murder is more likely to be a stranger-on-stranger killing. And those are, by definition, harder to solve. When it's a domestic case, the list of suspects is usually very small. It's just everyone living at home. And you have to figure out who is the perpetrator. Well, in the case of a gangland killing, it could be anybody. And often police are at a loss to be able to deal with gangs. Should not be that way, by the way. And there are lots of police departments that have figured out how to investigate and overcome gangland violence. But many other police departments have not learned those secrets, have not retooled their organization to deal with that kind of violence. And so the murder rate continues and the unsolved murders continue to pile up. We found that there's an inverse relationship between homicide occurrence and homicide clearance. The more you clear homicides, uh, the less likely you are to have future murders. There's a clearance bonus that when you clear your cases, when you get the killers off the street, the killing starts to reduce. And we can document that statistically. When police do retool and get effective at clearing homicides, they make life easier for themselves because there are fewer and fewer murders. We like to tell folks that solving murders literally saves lives. And we can prove that. Tom stated that today, the typical murder victims are Black. So my next question for him, why does location and race play into these patterns? Yeah, those are wonderful questions. Two years ago, we did a study in which we looked at the clearance rate by the race of the victim. And we found that, remember, there was a big slide in the rate at which America clears its homicides over the last 50 years. Back in the 1960s, we were clearing about 90% of our murders. Today, we're clearing about 60, 62%. Well, 100% of that decline was borne by African-American victims. 
that the clearance rate for white victims, for Asian victims, and even for Native American victims has held relatively constant over the years. In fact, in 2019, the most recent year for which we have complete data, 81% of Caucasian homicides were cleared, which is an all-time high for white murder victims. At the same time, African-American murder victims had a clearance rate of about 58%. It is an alarming pattern and one that is not widely understood or known. I put that report out two years ago, and not a whole lot of attention has been drawn to it. Geography is critical. Where you live and who you are have a tremendous impact on the odds that you could become a murder victim. And in Cleveland, clearly there are zones of higher risk. A big one is that 93rd Street corridor that we think, among other things, has attracted serial killers over time. These killing fields in every, almost every major city has them, are a real and significant challenge to law enforcement. And there's been a lot of debate over the decades on how to address the high crime areas and the high murder areas. Obviously, we've not gotten it right yet because the murder is continuing at a robust rate in 2020 at a 20 or 25 percent jump in total number of murders. If that is borne out by the data that will be released in a few months, that will represent the largest one-year jump in homicides ever recorded. Uh, we don't have it right yet. So they take this data, they enter it into this program, and it produces an algorithm. What do they then do with that algorithm? We are a small volunteer organization. Nobody gets paid. I've never gotten a dime from doing this. So we have voluntary labor. And the old saying is, when it comes to work, you get what you pay for. And if you pay people nothing, you may not get a whole lot of work. Well, we we do the best we can, but it is what it is. The algorithm is pumping out dozens and dozens of highly suspicious clusters. We investigate them when time permits. But frankly, we spend most of our time acquiring data because we think the data are quite valuable to law enforcement. Detectives are using our website every day. We spend our time, most of the time, on data acquisition. We spend a lot of time right now, we're we're in the process of suing the federal government because they are not reporting homicides to the Uniform Crime Report, even though Congress passed a law requiring them to do so. We spend most of our time on data acquisition, but as time permits, we investigate the clusters that the algorithm identifies. There was a large cluster in Cleveland that we spent some time with, and there's a classic cluster of strangulations in Chicago that we spent a great deal of time with. In both cases, local police made efforts to review the results of the algorithm. The Cleveland police took a look They weren't able to document serial killings yet, but most of the cases that our algorithm identified are still unsolved. In Chicago, there was a task group put together both of Chicago detectives and the FBI, and they're still continuing as time permits 
they're looking into 50 unsolved strangulations of women, most of whom were sex workers, all of whom were found strangled in out-of-doors body recovery sites, trash cans, abandoned buildings, empty alleyways. In some cases, the trash cans were set on fire. A very specific MO, and we believe that there are probably two or three serial killers active in Chicago. And we continue to work that pretty hard because that's a pretty clear threat and a pretty classic case of serial murder. We're less certain what we've got in Cleveland. We think it's likely that there have been multiple murders committed by single individuals along Euclid Avenue and along 93rd Street in Cleveland. As I was sitting there taking everything in, and it's a lot of information, I just kept going back to my previous question. I didn't feel like I fully understood, so I asked again, why does race play such a big role in this? Yeah, it's, and, and again, it's complicated. First of all, African-American men are more likely to be involved in gang activity and in organized drug organizations than any other group. And by definition, these are harder to solve homicides. So there's that, but that doesn't begin to explain the really, really large racial disparity in the rate at which we are having homicides and clearing homicides. Part of the problem is that a great many of these homicides are occurring in urban environments. And the clearance rate generally, regardless of race, the clearance rate is lower in major urban areas than it is in rural areas. That comes down to something called community policing. Ideally, you want police to be a part of the community and very involved in community life and very much informed about what's going on in the community. Um, In rural areas, usually the sheriff is en route to the scene already putting together a list of likely suspects because he knows these people. And he's probably had a list of young men that he was pretty confident sooner or later they'll kill someone. And that's community policing, to know who the usual suspects are. You don't get that in major cities. Cities are vast conglomerations of strangers, and the police are just as clueless about everyone as everyone else is. So it's a real challenge to solve homicides in in large urban environments, and that's where a lot of African-American killings occur. Also, it should be said that municipal governments are broke. A great many of them cannot afford their own pension plans. They have had to slowly starve law enforcement. They've had to slowly starve most of their city service organizations. They're broke. The tax base is slowly eroding, and they're not able to keep up with the demand for those services. Also, the demand is endless. And so there is an increasing competition for decreasing dollars. That's why a great many police departments are broke. In Cleveland, you don't have enough homicide detectives. You don't have enough trained homicide detectives. You certainly don't have enough detectives given the size of the murder problem. You should never, ever, ever expect a homicide detective to handle more than four or five cases a year. And even that's pushing it a little bit. 
but that's not what you got in Cleveland. It's common to expect teams of detectives to handle 20 murders a year. And that's crazy. It is a manpower problem, and it comes down to available resources. Yeah, and that's not fair to our police officers nor our communities. So it's just this complex problem, like you said. And I mean, I think, you know, identifying these patterns and problems is a huge step in the right direction. So, you know, what you've created in the team that volunteers alongside you is so necessary. And you guys need to be compensated for what you're doing because I think a shift can start taking place if what you're getting from your algorithms can actually be put into practice and solving cases. Maybe. Yeah, so far the Chicago cases have not been cleared. The Cleveland cases are still open. I mean, there's only so much an algorithm can do. In the end, murders are only cleared through lots and lots of manpower. The most expensive enterprise that any government pays for is manpower. And, you know, murder is expensive. (laughs) I, I hate to say this, but in many cities... If police were to clear 100% of their murders, the uh, city would probably go bankrupt. Clearing a homicide is expensive. Bringing a killer to trial and conviction is very expensive. You know, the whole system is, unfortunately, run by financing, and it is insane. It is just as insane, the structure by which we support law enforcement, as it is the structure by which we support public education. It's based on a local tax base that may not be able to bear the burden. And I think there's a lot of that happening in Cleveland. Some of the finest people I've ever met have been homicide detectives. When they get together for annual conventions to try to, you know, improve their craft, you hear a common phrase, we speak for God. That is, they care about murder victims who often have no representation in society. They are often marginalized people. A homicide detective is trying to bring closure to the case of someone who had a very hard life, and one that often is not appreciated by general society. We speak for God is a common thought among homicide detectives. So how do we as citizens come alongside our police departments to hold them accountable, but also champion them? How do we make these changes in our city to keep our neighborhoods safer? We've pinpointed the cause. Now we need to address the treatment. What do we do? What's the next step? Yeah, so it does come down to politics. Yeah. And when a political leader like a mayor or a city council president, when they start insisting that major crimes be cleared. When they start making homicide a priority, usually magic happens. Usually the clearance rate improves. That often happens because more resources are being made available. But also you're you're informing the police department that that is now the metric on which they will be judged. Of course, a horse always tries to meet the metric, whatever that is. So accountability, just the very act, of paying attention to what the clearance rate is can have a very beneficial effect. Let's talk numbers. Out of the 594 law enforcement agencies in Ohio, 
only 88% of them are providing data to the FBI. It makes me wonder, what are those 12% trying to hide? According to the CPD's Cleveland Division of Police Statistics 2020 year-end report, homicide has increased 136% since 2010. 136% in a decade. And the latest numbers show that murders in Cleveland have risen 59% in the first quarter of 2021 compared to 2020. How can we hold our law enforcement agencies accountable and demand that they do their jobs when they don't have the resources they need to effectively and safely do what we're asking of them? And also, I agree that all lives should matter. I agree that we shouldn't see color. But the fact of the matter is, not only are the patterns screaming and pointing to the pain, but so are the ones experiencing it. So right here, right now, yes, Black lives matter. When there is pain, there should be acknowledgement. You don't ignore it. You treat it. You treat the cause. And that cause is us. My goal and intention is not to sit here and make this about us versus them. I don't think it should be about us being right and them being wrong, or them being right and us being wrong. Maybe it's just always been that we're all wrong. We're all broken, and we've been bleeding into our society, our economics, our politics, and each other for far too long. And we've caused a lot of damage. I can't sit here and point fingers at our politicians and law enforcement without first admitting my part in it, and you, your part in it. We're the cause. Whether it be our ignorance, negligence, pride, something else, all of the above, we all must do better. What if enough of us stood in the middle and linked arms to bridge the divide, bringing both sides together? I know, it's a utopian dream to think that that could ever happen. I'm not going to pretend to have the answers. But what I do know is that what we've been doing hasn't been working, and we've got to try something else. We're here to advocate on behalf of Jamila, Jasmine, Christine, Ashley, their loved ones, the many others that have had to walk through similar things, but also to prevent and protect the future generations. I said it in the previous episode, And I want to say it again. I'm not the first person bringing light to these issues. Our local news stations, advocate groups, and those that have lived in the wake of these tragedies have been informing the public and demanding changes for years. It's time we join them. It does come down to politics. And when a political leader like a mayor or a city council president 
when they start insisting that major crimes be cleared, when they start making homicide a priority, usually magic happens. Usually the clearance rate improves. That often happens because more resources are being made available. But also you're informing the police department that that is now the metric on which they will be judged. Of course, the horse always tries to meet the metric, whatever that is. So accountability, just the very act of paying attention to what the clearance rate is, can have a very beneficial effect. Forget Them Not is written, produced, and hosted by Christina Irene. Managed and edited by Alexi Cordoposi Media Management. Music by Craig Allen Fravel. Armada Ripley by Falls. And the Europa Protoharmonic Symphony Orchestra. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Forget Them Not and Twitter at ForgetThemNot underscore. If you have information or questions pertaining to any of these cases, please call and leave us a message at 216-302-7873. If you know something, say something. Special thanks to our guest, Tom Hargrove, founder and chairman of the Murder Accountability Project. Thanks for tuning in to Forget Them Not. Episodes drop every Wednesday. If you haven't already, make sure to listen to episodes one and two so you're all caught up. Please make sure you're subscribed to the show on whatever podcast platform you listen on. If you like what you hear, give us a review on Apple Podcasts, share it with a friend, and give us a shout out on social media using hashtag ForgetThemNot. Thanks for the support.